sermon series, I Am, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. A few years ago, my grandfather passed away. Uh, it wasn't a complete surprise. He was getting older, and thankfully, he passed away peacefully in his sleep. But one of my last memories with him was actually talking to him late at night. One time, I was going back home to Boston, and when I got there, the only person awake was my grandfather. And so I sat with him in the dining room. And as we sat there, he started to tell me this story about when I was young. So the story goes, when I was young, maybe about five or six years old, I woke up late and I went into the fridge wanting uh, to see what food we had. I found an apple. I really wanted to eat it. But because I woke up late and I was about to miss my bus, my grandmother takes the apple, puts it back in the fridge, and rushes me to catch the bus. And so I come back home, and the first thing I do is look for that apple. Right? I was waiting to eat that apple all day, so I went to look for it. And so I looked in the fridge, but I couldn't find it. And so then I started getting mad. And I started getting angry because that's what I had been waiting for all day. And so I find out that somebody had ate the apple. And I'm livid now because that was the apple that I've been looking forward to. And so I started just shouting and yelling and getting angry. And so my grandmother tries to console me and says, oh, your mom will buy more apples for you when she comes home. But I wasn't having it. I just kept stomping and yelling and as my grandfather is telling me this story, he starts to laugh to himself. And then he says, oh, how you've grown. For me, that moment was really special because it was one of my final moments with my grandfather. And in many ways, it was like his final words to me. And he was telling me, oh, how I am so proud of you for the man that you've become. A person's final words have deep significance. They take on a greater meaning when you, don't, when you know that you might not hear from them again. Or, like in this case, it was his last words to me. The passage that we'll be reading today is some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. He knows that in less than 24 hours that he will be betrayed and led to the cross. And one of his last instructions to his disciples, he reminds them of their purpose. He says, your purpose is to be fruitful. When we think about our lives, how many of us see that as our purpose? I don't think many of us do. I think when we think about life, what we imagine our lives to be is comfortable and successful. And I think because we're chasing success and comfort, we are choosing a good life over the abundant life that God is offering to us. From the beginning, God made it clear that our purpose, you and I, our, my purpose, your purpose, is to be fruitful. Because when we look at the beginning of the world, when God created everything, in Genesis 1.28, when he's talking to mankind for the very first time, he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Our purpose in life is to be fruitful. It's not to be successful. It's not to be comfortable. It's not to get married. It's not to ensure that you have this amazing retirement. Our purpose is to bear much fruit. And not any kind of fruit, but good fruit. I believe that so many of us are living unsatisfied, are unsatisfied with life because we're missing out on the purpose that God has for us. So many of us are settling for a, for a tame spiritual life when what we desire is a vibrant, dynamic spiritual life. And so as we conclude our sermon series on the I am statements of Jesus, we're going to take a look at Jesus' final I am statement. 
And so we're going to find it where he declares that he is the true vine. Jesus declares that he is the true vine. So if you have your Bibles with you, whether it's physical or maybe it's on your phone, if you would turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to read from verses 1 through 17. So John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. In his final I am statement, Jesus speaks of a vine. And for the disciples who are hearing this for the very first time, their, their first thought is Israel, right? God's people. Israel in the Old Testament, oftentimes it's just characterized as a vineyard or vine, because it's a usually, but it's usually a reference to judgment. Throughout the Old Testament, when God's people are described as this vine, it's to emphasize their unfaithfulness, that they were not bearing fruit. They weren't living and holy. They weren't living holy and surrendered lives for God. They failed to be and to live as the people of God. They failed as the vine. But when Jesus says that he is the true vine, he is declaring that he is the new Israel. While the people of God failed to live in holiness and righteousness, Jesus has succeeded. Where the people have failed to live in obedience, Jesus has obeyed. But not only that, as the vine, he also gives us the power to obey. He is the vine, but we are the branches. Look at what it says in verse 2. Jesus says, he, God, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. To be a Christian is to bear fruit. 
And to bear fruit isn't just about going to church, reading the Bible, or fasting, or doing enough good works for God to accept you. The Pharisees did all these things. They prayed fervently, they obeyed the law, and they fasted, but they did not know God. They did these things to puff themselves up and for God to love and approve of them. But the truth is, there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. God already loves you and me unconditionally. And as a response of living in that love, we are to bear fruit. The deeper our relationship with Jesus, the more fruit we will bear. God doesn't just want us to bear fruit, but he wants us to bear much fruit. And he helps us in this process. In the passage, God is described as the gardener. Just as a gardener tends to a vineyard to produce much fruit, God wants to tend to us to make sure that we are growing spiritually. He wants us to grow, and he does it through the process of pruning. A vine dresser or gardener prunes and cuts away dead or even overgrown branches to encourage more growth. Pruning is not punitive. It's restorative. Pruning is not punitive. It's restorative. God doesn't prune us as punishment, but he chooses to prune us in order to make us fruitful. It is a restorative process where God is transforming us to be the way he intended us to be before sin entered into the world. He is restoring us to be more and more like his son, Jesus. Pruning is a process that God uses to make us more and more like Jesus. And for some of us, that's scary. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we want to become more and more like Jesus. But what we're scared of is what it will take to make us like Jesus. Pruning can be painful. And oftentimes, it requires conflict and struggle. And it can look like many different things. Pruning might be God wanting you to end a relationship that dishonors you. Pruning might be God wanting, uh, it might mean that you have to forgive someone who's hurt you. It might mean that you have to look at yourself honestly when you're fighting with your spouse to see how selfish you are. The pruning that God might be doing in you in this moment might be scary and painful, but know that it's not meant to hurt you, but it's to grow you. When we face trials and hardships, the temptation is to blame or even walk away, turn away from God because of what's happening in our lives. But what we learn here is that if we were to turn towards Jesus and depend on him, he will give us everything that we need to come out changed for the better. It's in our struggles and hardship that God really teaches us to depend on Jesus. I know that in my life, there the times where I've grown the most and trusted in Jesus were actually through hardship and suffering. It's been about two months since we've been practicing social distancing. And if I'm just being honest, it's been really hard. It's been really hard taking care of a young one while trying to do work at home. It's been really hard not to have my own personal space, my own loan space, because Esther and I, we live in this small apartment. So no matter where I go, it's either Esther's on a phone call for work or Weston's grabbing at my leg to play with them. Right? I am an introvert, and the way I get re-energized is by spending alone time, but I can't do that. It's been really hard not being able to see friends and family. Yes, Zoom calls are great. It's great to uh, have video uh, hangouts, but it's not the same thing. 
It's been really hard not being able to worship with all of you in one place. But despite all of this, there has been a silver lining. I believe that God has been using this season in my life to really grow me. There are times where I'll frustrate and annoy Esther and she'll come at me, but I have to learn to grow in gentleness. And so I try not to lash out on her, but God's been growing me to approach her with gentleness. God's been growing my patience. It's not easy being a patient with a young one who's learned to say no. Right? For future parents, just giving you a warning. It doesn't matter how cute your kids are. It doesn't matter how cute the way that they say things. Right? When they say no, it's really frustrating. For Weston, right, he is very soft-spoken. So when he says no, it's not like he's yelling at you, no, no, no. He's actually really cute. He's like, no, no. Right? He's very soft-spoken. So it's really cute. But still, when I'm, having, I'm trying to get him to eat all of his food or to drink his prune juice, and he's telling me that, I get frustrated. I get annoyed. And so God's been growing my patience. God didn't cause COVID-19, but he is using it to grow and prune me. How is God using COVID-19 to prune you? As you take a look at the last couple of months, how is God trying to grow and challenge you? God doesn't cause our suffering or hardship, but he uses it to grow us and to deepen our faith in Jesus. This is why Jesus says that in order to bear fruit, we must remain in him. Pruning is not just about cutting off dead branches, but it's, all, it's also about cutting back the branches that go too far. When branches stray too far from the vine, they become less fruitful. God prunes us when we stray too far from him. God wants us to remain in Jesus because Jesus is the source of abundant life. Apart from Jesus, we can't bear fruit. Instead, the fruit that we bear is counterfeit. It's like plastic fruit. Right? It looks real, but it lacks substance. Have any of you guys tried to eat a plastic apple? No, of course not. It's fake. Right? It doesn't have the right texture. It tastes like plastic. When we try to do things on our own, we are producing counterfeit fruit. We might be loving, but only to the point where that person is, reciprocates that love to us. We might be kind, but only if we have something to gain. It's only when we depend on Jesus and remain in him that we produce good fruit. And the Bible gives us a description of what this good fruit looks like. Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice that in these verses, Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit but he says fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. It's not plural. God doesn't just want us to be loving, but he also wants us to be faithful. God doesn't just want us to be gentle, but he also wants us to be peacemakers. Bearing fruit is not about picking and choosing certain qualities that we want to grow in. But when we rely on Jesus, the Holy Spirit works in us and through us to change our behaviors, our attitudes, and our affections. He changes us from the inside out. This is not a process that happens overnight. It takes time and nurture for the Holy Spirit to work in us. But it's the Holy Spirit who works in us, who changes us so that we stop living for ourselves and start to live for God. Bearing fruit is both internal and external. 
And Jesus says in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How we live and the fruit we bear is a reflection of our heart. As the Holy Spirit works in us to produce fruit, we honor and glorify God by pointing, by showing the world who we follow. As we live as Jesus' disciples, we are pointing people to Jesus. This is, why fruit, this is why bearing fruit matters. But the key to bearing fruit is to remain in Jesus. To remain in Jesus. Fruitfulness is a byproduct of a loving relationship with Jesus. The key to this whole passage is to remain in Jesus. That's why Jesus says remain. The word remain 11 times in these 17 verses. But this command to remain is not, but this command to remain in him is also followed by this promise. Jesus promises us that if we remain in him, he will remain in us. This is not a one-sided command for us to do something, but it points to the dynamic relationship that we have with Jesus. A relationship filled with love, trust, and grace. And in this relationship, we are to depend on him. Just as the branches depend on the vine to receive its nutrients, we are to depend on Jesus for him to give us life. But it's not always easy to remain in Jesus. Like many, like with any relationship, it's easy to drift apart. Relationships require intentionality. You need to really want it. Relationships just don't grow on their own. You have to want it and put work into it. It takes effort and sacrifice, and it's the same with Jesus. Are you making the effort and sacrifice to remain in Jesus? Are you making the effort and sacrifice to remain in Jesus? There are things in our lives that will grow our love for Jesus, and then there are things in our lives that will take away our love for Jesus. By, to remain in Jesus is to figure out what are the things that draw you near to God and to do those things more. But it's also about figuring out what are the things that take you away from Jesus and to do those things less. Sometimes those things that draw you near to God are easy. For instance, I love woodworking. It's a passion of mine. I love doing carpentry. I love working with my hands and being able to see this finished product made out of raw materials. Right? I love HGTV. I love Fixer Upper. Because part of it, it reminds me that I am an unfinished product. Right? That God can take the, the barren, take these things and make something beautiful out of it. But it also reminds me that I am a creative person. I wouldn't think of myself as a creative person. But when I can take materials and make something good out of it, it's a reminder that I am made in the image of God, that I also have creativity. And so I love woodworking. It brings me, it connects me to nearer to God. And so part of, before COVID-19 happened, part of my Sabbaths, I would actually go and just do woodworking projects at the office because I needed the space. But that was part of my Sabbath to connect with God. That was easy. Sometimes the things that draw us near to God aren't easy. I hate reading. I hate books. I don't enjoy them at all. But I know it's beneficial to me. I know it's beneficial to my faith. And so I'll read books on faith, not because I like it or enjoy it, but because it helps me connect and grow in my faith in Jesus. Sometimes the things that draw us near God are easy. Sometimes they're hard. But then there are things that we need to cut out of our lives because it actually hinders our relationship with God. One thing that hinders my relationship with God is sleeping late. 
I'm naturally a night owl. I stay up late at night. But I realize that when I stay up late at night, it actually hinders my relationship with God because the next day I'm really tired and it also makes me lazy. And so if I stay up late at night, then I know the next day is going to be really hard for me just to spend time with God. When I'm praying, guess what? I'm sleeping. When I'm trying to read the Bible, right, I go to sleep. So staying up late has hindered my relationship with God. And so it's something that I'm trying to cut out of my life. And to be honest, I'm not perfect. There are times where I still stay up late. But I know that it hinders my relationship with God, so I'm trying my best to actually sleep earlier and earlier. What is it that draws you near to God? Is it to play sports? Is it to take a walk in nature? Is it to listen to worship songs? But also, what is it that pushes you away from God? You need to figure that out and cut it out of your life. Bearing fruit is not a choice. It is a result of being united to Jesus. But remaining in Jesus is a choice. We have free will. We can choose either to draw near to God or we can choose to move further away from him. But if we choose to remain intimately attached to Jesus, we will see God move powerfully in our lives. Remaining in Jesus leads us to experience the power of God in our lives. Because here's what happens when you remain in the vine. Right? The first thing is that we pray boldly. When we remain in the true vine, we pray boldly. Prayer is an important part of a spiritual walk. It's through prayer that we not only connect with God, but it's also the way that God changes the world. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So why is it that whenever we ask, it's not done for us? Well, it just might be because you're asking for the wrong thing. Oftentimes we go to God asking him to make our lives better. We go to God with this laundry list of things that we want him to accomplish in our lives. To make our lives better. And there's nothing wrong with going to God with your desires and your wants. He wants us to be raw and honest with him. But the truth is, he may not answer you the way that you want. Pastor Peter, he reminded us last week that when we pray, our prayers need to glorify God and not ourselves. Our prayers need to glorify God, not ourselves. God answers prayers, but it's not always the way that you want. He'll either answer with a yes, a no, or not yet. But every single time he answers, it's always aligned with his will. And that's good news. It's good news that God answers our prayers according to his will because he knows what's best. He has a greater perspective than we do. He sees every angle. God will not give you something that will harm you. He will only answer your prayers in a way that is good for you. This is why when Jesus teaches us to pray, Jesus says to his disciples, Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The key to praying boldly is God's will. Right before Jesus says, ask whatever you wish, there's a condition. He says, first, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then pray, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We can go to God and pray boldly by remaining in Jesus and in his word. When we are deeply rooted in Jesus, 
in the Bible, God starts to change our hearts to pray for the things that his heart longs for. Prayer is not just a means for God to change our situation, but to mean for God to change us. As we spend time with God in prayer, we start to understand the heart of God and his desires. Our prayer is no longer is about only what we want, but as our hearts break for the things that God's heart breaks for, our prayers become more about God than they do us. We can pray boldly in faith knowing that God will answer each and every one of our prayers because we are only presenting what he is laying on our hearts. This is why reading the Bible is so important. Reading the Bible and prayer go hand in hand because the way we understand and know God is through his word. It's important that we learn to meditate on his word and not just read the Bible to check off uh, something as if it was our to-do list. If we want to know God, we need to sit with him. We need to meditate on his word. We need to chew it. We need to root, root ourselves in it. Because when we chew on the word of God, when we meditate on it, we will, God will breathe life into us. When the word of God permeates us, then we will pr- we'll be able to pray with discernment. I think the reason why we don't pray boldly is because we lack discernment. How much more confidently would we pray if we were able to discern the heart of God? By remaining in the true vine and staying connected to Jesus, we pray boldly because our prayers glorify God. To remain in Jesus, we have the power to pray boldly. The second result of remaining in the true vine is that we live joyfully. When we remain in the true vine, we live joyfully. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent on our external factors. Happiness is defined by our happenings. For instance, if you go take a walk and find a $100 bill on the ground, you are happy. Let's say you're taking that walk and that $100 bill falls out of your pocket. Guess what? You're unhappy. Happiness is the emotion that you feel based on your circumstances and situation. You can't control it. It's not a choice that you make even though you pursue and desire it. Happiness just happens to us. Joy, on the other hand, is a choice we make. It's an attitude of the heart and the spirit. It does not waver based on what you're going through. You can still be filled with joy even when you are going through a difficult season. Happiness is externally triggered while joy is internally cultivated. This is why remaining in Jesus is crucial to our joy. Starting in verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. God's desire for us is to be filled with joy, a joy that does not waver when things don't go our way, a joy that does not falter when the world around us is crumbling. Our joy will be steadfast and complete because it's based on the love of God. What causes Jesus to be filled with joy is that he remains in the Father's love. He knows and finds security in the Father, knowing that the Father loves him and nothing can take that away from him. Jesus points out that he is fully immersed in the love of God and that the expression of that love is obedience. Jesus has obeyed the Father 
not because it was demanded of him, but he obeys as a response of being loved. How secure are you in the Father's love? How secure are you in the Father's love? A good indication is your obedience. We obey God as a response to being in a loving relationship with him, not so that he will love us. The reason why obedience is so important to remaining in God's love is because if we truly believe that God loved us and that he has the best for us, his plans for us are the best, then we would do as he says. It's about trust. Do we trust in the love of God? Do we trust that he knows what's best? Do we trust his plan? This is where joy springs from. The reason we can experience joy even in the most difficult times is because we are secure in the love of the Father. We know that there is nothing in the world that could ever separate us from his love. And so by remaining in the true vine, we experience this joy that does not waver even in the most difficult of times. By remaining in Jesus, not only can we pray boldly, but we can live joyfully. And the final thing is that we can love supernaturally. When we remain in the true vine, we love supernaturally. For many of us, love is an emotion. It's something that you feel towards someone or something. I believe every one of us has experienced this emotion in our lives. Maybe it was the love of a husband or a wife, or maybe a girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe it's the love of a parent or sibling. But it's not just people that we love, but it's also things. Maybe you love shopping. Maybe you love money. One of the things that I love is eating. I, love, I eat when I'm hungry, but I also eat when I'm full. Right? I don't eat just to survive. I eat because it's delicious to eat food and it gives me joy. But God makes clear here that love isn't just an emotion. It's also a choice. Love is expressed through action. And Jesus gives us the greatest example of love in action. In verse 12 and 13, he says, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love that Jesus speaks of here is a radical and supernatural love. Jesus is asking us to love sacrificially. It's, not, it's easy to love someone when it doesn't cost you a thing but it's very difficult to love someone when it costs you your life. But that's exactly what Jesus did. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is about to do on the cross. He says in these verses that the greatest love is to deny oneself for another, and he demonstrates it on the cross. In less than 24 hours from this point, Jesus is betrayed and he gives up his life on the cross so that he could give life to you and me. This command is hard to follow. It's not something that we can do on our own. We will never have enough willpower to follow this command through because all of us are sinners. We're self-centered. We're selfish. We choose self-preservation over sacrifice. Although we cannot love in this way on our own, loving sacrificially is possible. To love like Jesus is only possible if we remain in him. By remaining in Jesus and staying connected to him, we will have the power to love others the way that he did. 
As we grow deeper in this relationship with Jesus, our heart grows for others. We begin to take on the heart of God for others. We begin to see people not as they are, but the way that God sees them. We start to see people as bearers of the image of God. We see Jesus in them. This is the reason why we can forgive those who hurt us. This is also the reason why we can love those who reject us. We love because God first loved us. As we remain in Jesus, we're given the strength and the courage to love others supernaturally. My first year of marriage was a season of pruning. Um, Esther and I have been married for about five years now. But there were times in that first year where we didn't know if we were going to make it through. Like deep down inside, Esther and I knew that we loved each other and we were committed to each other. Those were the vows that we made on our wedding day. But sometimes the fighting was so bad that we just wanted to rip each other's heads off. Esther and I never, and the reason why it was so surprising for us is because Esther and I, we never fought in our dating, while we were dating or while we were engaged. But once we got married, it was like the floodgates had just broken open. And so every night we'd be fighting. The first year of marriage was so hard for us because all of our brokenness started to come out as we tried to figure out how to live with each other. And so we fought all the time. We had this rhythm of fighting. We can like even schedule it out at times because every weekend came, whenever weekend came, that's when we would fight. It came to a point where we would go before God, before the weekend was starting, just be like, God, please help us to have a good weekend and not fight with each other. There were many nights of tears, sleeping on the couch and throwing things. But as I look back, I'm so thankful for that first year. And no, I'm not a masochist. I don't like suffering. But it was during that time that God really grew us. We had to learn how to depend on Jesus and to remain in him because on our own power, it wasn't working. We had to learn to pray boldly, asking God to heal us of our brokenness that we brought into the marriage. We had to ask God to help us to deny ourselves each and every day, to die to ourselves each and every day because too often we put ourselves before the other. And as we made Jesus the center of our marriage and as we remained in him, we were able to experience joy even in that dark moment, even in the darkest moments. No matter how toxic it became or no matter how much we hurt each other, by putting Jesus at the center, by remaining in him, we knew that we would be able to get through it with his help. While I would never, go, I would never wish to go through that ever again, I am so thankful for that season because Esther and I would never have grown to where we are today. And our marriage, our beautiful marriage, would not be, not be what it is today without that season in our lives. The most important thing that you can do today is to stay connected to Jesus. While we may be practicing social distancing from each other, there is no social distancing from Jesus. Jesus declares that he is the true vine and we are the branches. And if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. God doesn't just want us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to pray boldly, to love supernaturally, and to live joyfully. Will you choose to remain in the true vine today? Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you for reminding us that you are the true vine. That where Israel failed, where we fail as sinners, 
that you have succeeded. You've shown us, God, that there is a better way, that there is a better life than the one that we imagined for ourselves, that there is the abundant life that we have access to if simply we would remain in you. And so my prayer right now, God, is that we would make that choice to remain in you, to stay connected to you, to depend on you, to cling to you. And I believe, God, that in this season when there's so much loss and there's so much heartbreak, that you're trying to teach us something. And so, Father, I pray that even right now, as you're pruning us, as you're growing us, help us not to see our circumstances and situations greater than you, but help us to see and to challenge ourselves to ask the question, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? How are you trying to draw me near to you? And so, Father, my prayer right now also is that we would remember that our purpose is to be fruitful. There's so many things that we chase after, but what you want from us is to bear much fruit. And so, Father, may we continue to remain in you, the vine. May we continue to cling to you and just know, Father, that you are working in us and through us, changing us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way. Thank you for showing us what love is on the cross. Thank you for all that you do, God, and all that you will continue to do today. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, just as a reminder, uh, I just wanted to remind everyone that we are starting our 9.30 service next week. So you can catch us online both at 9.30 and 11.30. Um, So I hope that we'll be able to see even more people because now we have two uh, service times. But at this moment, if you guys could take out your communication card and um, you can find the communication card either on the app or you can find it online at emetro.org slash Sunday. So I'm going to take out mine. And if you haven't filled out the communication card, like Pastor Peter had mentioned earlier during the moderating, uh, take this time to fill it out. Put in as much information as you would like. Uh, But also on the communication card, we have our next steps. So for the first next step, I'm committing myself to Jesus for the first time. If this is you, if you're making the decision to give your life, to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time, please check that off. Like I said, the the greatest relationship that we have is to Jesus. The greatest choice, the greatest decision that we can make is to remain and to cling and to be in relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, just click that off and one of our pastors will get back to you um, just to check up on you and also maybe send you some resources. The second, I will create a rule of life. A rule of life, if you guys have taken emotional, healthy spirituality, you know what a rule of life is. If you haven't, a rule of life is just the activity, uh, figuring out what is it that draws you near to God, what is it that draws you away from God, and figuring out how to arrange your life, your schedule, in a way where you're actually pursuing after God. And so if that's you, I will send you out some instructions on how to fill out the rule of life. Uh, the third, I will attend the Wednesday evening and, fri- or, and or Friday morning prayer meeting. Um, So twice a week, we have a time of prayer, Wednesday evening or Friday morning. And so this is just an opportunity for you to pray boldly. And so if that's you, if you want to join us this week, just check that off. And the last one, I I would like to meet and receive pastoral care from a Metro pastor. Uh, Something that we've begun uh, more recently is just to offer pastoral care. Uh, So if that's you, if you have not received pastoral care from anybody, 
at our church, uh, check that off. If you have received pastoral care, you guys have relationships with some of the pastors, so you can just contact them directly. But this is really for anybody who needs pastoral care who's never received it before at our church. So you could just check that off.